0: And all I have in you Is more than enough ah. And so Lord you are Our supply And all I have in you is More than enough All of you is more than enough for all of me And so Lord God would you supply us now Through uh Your word preached, would you supply us now? Whatever is, uh, Lord, not of you, not your word, help us to forget it. Whatever is of you, Lord God, I pray that we would always remember it. And Lord God, I pray that you would member us, that you would bring us together as a body, um, animated by your life, supplied by um, the blood that flows from the throne. Build us into the body that you want us to be come Holy Spirit and be glorified in us in Jesus name Amen But I wonder how we ever got up in that tree anyway now let's see the elephants can't climb trees can they no no that's ridiculous could not jump up mm-hmm, it's too high hey there, son. maybe you all flew up Maybe we flew up Yeah, maybe we That's it Dumbo, you flew Boy, you're my stupid Why not think of this before? Your ears, just look at them, Dumbo Why, they're perfect wings The very things that held you down Are going to carry you up and up and up I can see it all now (laughs) In our last message from Ephesians uh, If you weren't here and you don't remember We talked about Dumbo in other words, we talked about you and the fact that you are an earthen vessel, kind of like one of these vessels, or earthen vessels uh, made of earth, made, made of sand. Uh, like each one of these unique and various and different vessels, you are a strange and uniquely shaped vessel. The last time we, we uh, m- Talked about the fact that we're each born into the world like one of these vessels, and we soon become aware that something's wrong. In our anxiety and our fear, we begin to judge each other, compete with each other. We build dividing walls and exclude each other. We know something's wrong and assume that it's the shape of our vessel. But according to Paul, it's not the shape of our vessel. It's the fact that our vessel is empty. Or, even worse, our earthen vessel is full of earth. That is, we're full of ourselves. A, a vessel of wrath. But the, the good news is that a vessel of wrath, like Saul of Tarsus, the, the Pharisee, can become a vessel of mercy like the Apostle of Grace, St. Paul. In, in other words, we, we can be emptied and, and then filled, and, and we are filled according to the measure. See that? That's a measuring cup. According to the measure of Christ's gift. According to the measure. Jesus Christ and him crucified That's the measure. As comprehensible as a man hanging on a tree. Deep and infinite as the very heart of God. And with what does God fill us according to that measure? Well, he fills us with blood. Leviticus 17, the life is in the blood. And God says the life belongs to me. Life-given is grace and, and we are filled by the power of the Spirit of grace, the, the Holy Spirit. In 1 Corinthians, Paul writes this, Christ, the last, the ultimate, the finished man, the eschatos Adam, became a life-giving spirit. God fills us with his spirit through Christ Jesus and when he does, the contours of, of wrath become the contours of grace. The contours of your former emptiness become the contours of his fullness in you. The contours of your old man become the contours of the new man, the God-man in you. Contours of Dumbo's shame, those big ears that brought him down, become the contours of Dumbo's glory, those big ears that Lifted him up. Dumbo's ears, in other words, are a gift. But not just for Dumbo. Dumbo is part of a circus. So Dumbo's uniqueness is not just a blessing to Dumbo. In other words, in, in the words of Andrew Tybert last week, it, it's not a zero-sum game, okay? But uh, Dumbo is blessed to be a blessing to every man, animal in, in the circus, to every bird in the sky, and, and that's the end. And that is a, that's a good end. Well, let's look at our text. Ephesians 4, verses 1 through 16. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, writes Paul, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body. Now, stop right there. One body. If you're paying attention, and if you really take scripture seriously, then something, uh, you should, uh, a question should be occurring. You should be thinking to yourself, hey, Paul, what, what, do you, what the heck do you mean, one body? There's one body. I mean, look around this room. Just look, go ahead and look. Look at all the bodies in this room. There's a whole, look, look, do you see them? There's a whole lot more than one body. I mean, in this world, Paul, there's like six billion bodies. What do you mean, one body? Well, you know, whenever the word confuses you, don't dismiss the word wrestle with the word it says there is there is one body and one spirit now god is spirit right that's what scripture says and Jesus had a spirit and God and Jesus send the Holy Spirit and each one of us is made of of earth and spirit that's breath of God breathed into to that clay ephesians 5:18 we're also to be filled and to keep on being filled that's the tense of the verb to keep on being filled with the spirit to be filled and keep on being filled I mean that'd be like the spirit just flowing through you like a, a river or something there is one body and one spirit just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Now, pay attention to that all, because that's a pretty dang big all, right? One, Father of all. Now, there are seven ones in those three verses, and that's hugely significant, because seven is the number of the teleos, the finished creation, seven ones, and every Jew recited this every day, Deuteronomy 16, God is one, God is one, God is Lord, and God is, is, is spirit. Paul writes, one spirit, one Lord, and now he referred to Jesus as Lord, right? One spirit, one Lord, one God, one Father God, one God and Father of all. Ephesians 4, 4 through 6, in case you, you didn't know this, is a classic verse in defense of the the Christian doctrine of the Trinity, that God is three persons and one substance, a unity and diversity, a diversity in unity. My favorite quotes regarding the Trinity were written by C.S. Lewis, and if I could, I would read these to you just about every sermon. Mere Christianity, he writes this, all sorts of people are fond of repeating the Christian statement that God is love. But they seem not to notice that the words God is love have no real meaning unless God contains at least two persons. Love is something that one person has for another person. If God was a single person, then before the world was made, he was not love. And that, by the way, is perhaps the most important difference between Christianity and all other religions, that in Christianity, God is not a static thing. Not even a person, but a dynamic, pulsating activity, a life, almost a kind of drama, almost, if you will not think me irreverent, a kind of dance. And now what does it all matter? It matters more than anything else in the world. The whole dance or drama or pattern of this three-personal life is to be played out in each one of us or putting it the other way around. Each one of us has got to enter that pattern, take his place in that dance. There is no other way to the happiness for which we were made. We've got to enter that pattern. But we can't enter that pattern until that pattern enters us. In other words, we love because he first loved us, and, and, and people argue over that pattern, the Trinity, whatever, but, but, but God is love. There's this, this, this dance, and in The Problem of Pain, he, he writes, there is joy in the dance, but it doesn't exist for the sake of joy. It does not even exist for the sake of good or of love. It is love himself, and good himself, and therefore, happy. Jesus came. That we might be one as he and his father are one. That we might be one in him. Three persons, one substance. One hunk a hunk burn in love. Ephesians chapter four, verse six. One God and father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives. Literally, he led captivity captive, and he gave gifts to men. Irenaeus, one of the early church fathers, along with several of the others, argued that those captives were the principalities and powers, the forces of darkness that would divide us. And Paul is quoting Psalm 68 in this verse, and it's interesting that in the psalm, the Messiah receives gifts from men, and here in Ephesians, he gives gifts to men. But, but, but if you think about it, Jesus can't receive anything from us unless he first gives it to us, right? Psalm 68, 18 says this, he received gifts even among the rebellious. Isn't that interesting? Even among the rebellious that the Lord may dwell there. (laughs) Wow. Next verse in Ephesians. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower parts of the earth, literally of the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill, all things. Now pay attention to that all, because that is a pretty dang big all. That's a really big all, verse 11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers... To equip the saints, that'd be us, we're saints. Equip the saints, the holy ones, the ones called for the work of ministry, service, for building up the body of Christ until we all, now check this out, how big is that all? Do you know the we is supplied by the translator? The, The translator just stuck it in there. So literally it's like until all attain to, or more accurate, more literally, arrive at, until all arrive at three things. Number one, the unity of the faith and the unity of the knowledge of the Son of God. That is the faith that Christ, the ultimate Adam, has, his faith. Uh, That is the knowledge that the ultimate Adam, uh, Christ, has, his knowledge. What the first Adam, Christ is the ultimate Adam, but but what is it? It's, It's what the first Adam did not have, faith, that God is good and knowledge that the good is God. That faith and knowledge are poured into us like like wine is poured into an earthen vessel. Finishing us, it it finishes us in, in the image of God. Well, until we all arrive at three things, the unity of the faith, and the unity of the knowledge of the Son of God, and secondly, to mature manhood. Literally, to the finished man, singular. And it's fascinating because Paul uses a word that can't be translated as mankind. He uses aner or Andra, the teleos andra, literally finished man. Remember Jesus on the tree in the garden? He cried, it is finished. Teleos, finished. Paul seems to be saying, because c- of the verb he's using here, that we are going out to meet the man. <laughs> We're going out to meet the man, the ultimate Adam, and we are his body, his bride. Until we all uh, arrive at, uh, like in a procession, until we all arrive at uh, the unity of the faith and knowledge of Jesus uh, to the finished man, number three, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, verse 14, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine or teaching by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is supplied literally, with which he supplies it when each part is working properly makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. One one a hunk, of hunk of burning love, and it it seems pretty clear, it seems pretty evident that uh, you, according to Paul, are a piece of that body, a piece of the body of Christ, and despite what you've read in books or you've seen in movies, that would mean that the second coming of Christ would have to look something like this. like that, but probably not Simon Cowell in a tuxedo from the X Factor, okay, and the head would remain whole, but, but something, something, something like that, and all of your jagged edges coming together would make sense. They'd make sense. Now, see, Paul has been saying it for all of Ephesians, hasn't he? Chapter 1, verse 10 the plan for the fullness of time, Anakefalia, to unite all things, uh, sum up all things, bring together all things under one sacred head now wounded. And even now, the true church, his body is to be united, growing up in every way into him who is the head. And for this purpose, Christ gave gifts, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, for equipping the saints, which which is us, that the body might build itself up in love. You see, it's not just pastors that build the body up. You need to know that. It's the body that builds itself up. God uses the body, builds itself up in love. That's what all our, our gifts are for. And yet the church... Historically, the institutional church, the the church has like divided into like a gazillion denominations arguing over the gifts. And the communion table where supposedly all the pieces come together. That says to me that we're like missing the picture. We're not getting the picture. And so we don't understand gifts and we're afraid of gifts. And two, we don't understand giving and we're afraid of giving. Three, we don't understand life and so we're afraid of living. Number one, we don't understand the gifts. In fact, the moment I say spiritual gifts, some of you start to panic. Right? You think about some kind of freaky weird incidences in the past. Maybe um, you're getting shot right back to Christmas morning when you were a kid and mom is passing out the gifts and in anxiety and fear, you're asking yourself, does, does dad love me as much as her? Did, did he spend as much money on my gift as her gift? Did, did he pay as much for, for my gift as, as, as her gift? Do I matter as much as her? Well, God the Father, you see, paid the same for each gift. He loves each of you with all his heart. In other words, with Jesus Christ and him crucified on a tree. The measure, the measure is Christ's gift. He loves each of you the same amount. And yet, the gifts take a different form in each child. He loves each of you the same, even though he loves your sister with a dollhouse and you with a toy truck. You may think to yourself, um, well, okay, fine, but I don't think I have any gifts. Well, according to Paul, you do. 1 Corinthians 12, 7, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good, to each. You know, in fear, I think we, we think that all the gifts must be the same. And we forget that The gifts are gifts, so we get proud of our gifts, as if they really weren't gifts, but something that we had produced, as if others could really have those gifts, it's only if they tried as as hard as as we, or or me. We get proud of our gifts, and we get intimidated by gifts in others. And so, in our anxiety and, and fear, if we don't have a gift, we try to fake a gift. We say, I have a vision. God gave me a vision. When in fact, we manufactured the vision. Or we pray for somebody and say, Oh, I prayed for your healing and God gave me a gift of healing. And if, and if you aren't healed, well, obviously, you don't have enough faith. Or oh, we put together classes on how to speak in tongues. Just say, just say, economy condominium over and over. Economy condominium, economy condominium, or Honda, Shabbat Honda, Shabbat Honda. In Scripture, there are no classes on how to get the gifts, how to discover your gifts, how to use your gifts. Oh, yeah. Now, now that's where a class could be maybe really valuable. But, but if I'm a dad, I don't want someone giving a class on how to, how to, my children, how to manipulate me to get gifts from me. Yeah, God is generous. He's generous. But please see, the gifts are different. They're different for different people, and that's by design. You know, for years I was jealous of and utterly intimidated by people that would get words of knowledge. They'd say stuff like, well, God just told me, X, Y, Z, like word for word for word, and I'd think to myself, I don't get words. That never happens to me. So maybe I don't hear the shepherd's voice, which means I'm not a sheep. I'm not a sheep. I figured they had to be lying or I wasn't a sheep, and then I married a sheep that heard words. And I mean not just the sound of a voice, like blah, 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 blah blah fluffy blah, 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 but words, like fluffy. Go tell Peter to chill out. I am his shepherd, and he's my sheep. A friend uh, once prayed for me, asking God why he didn't give me the gift that I wanted, and she heard God say this because if I gave that gift to Peter, he wouldn't need my body. And check this out my wife, she is his body. And because she's my bride, she's my body. I was thinking about that one day. I remember thinking. You know, words of knowledge isn't the only gift that she has that I don't have. She has female parts, and I don't have female parts. And yet, I do have female parts, because I'm married to her, bound in a covenant, and we celebrate communion. And then I remember thinking, you know, I have male parts, and she doesn't have male parts, And it's a gift that she doesn't have that gift. And yet, when we become one body, she does have that gift. And when my gift meets her not gift, that's the very best gift. That's life. And it produces life. Jonathan, Elizabeth, Rebecca, and Coleman. I'm just saying that our differences do not have to be a curse. You see, they can be the greatest blessing. A blessing when bound by a covenant, offered in love as an act of communion. The problem is that we don't always use our gifts that way. The problem is that we often use our gifts to take rather than to give. A man can use his unique male part gifts to to take life rather than give life. To rape rather than make love. Sin is taking life. Grace is giving life. Well, anyway, in Ephesians 4, unlike in other places, Paul isn't saying just that you are uniquely gifted. He is saying that you are the unique gift. It's fascinating, because he doesn't just say that God has given us gifts of prophecy. He says, no, God has given the church prophets. And not just sermons, but preachers. Not just Sunday school lessons, but teachers. And not just administration, but administrators. You, you are the gift. You with, with your places that you feel gifted, and you with the places that you don't feel gifted. You with your unique uniqueness, uh, unique differences, your, your unique uh, weaknesses, and unique strengths, the unique contours of your personality, uh, your unique convex places, and your new, unique concave places. You are the gift given to the body of Christ. You. Now, what parts of your body? Do you consider dispensable? I mean, do you ever think to yourself something like this? You know, God, I really like my eye. i got a great eye. My ear is not my eye. So I'll cut it off, make my whole body my eye. That'll be awesome. Did you ever think that? What part of Christ's body does he consider dispensable? if you were to lose a body part, would you want it back? You know, your body might live, and yet it would probably not feel teleos, complete, finished. And so from Jesus' perspective, what's a non-believer? What's a person lacking in faith and, and, and knowledge like Jesus has. So, What's a person that's lost? And what are they lost from? And why does G- Jesus seem to care so much uh, about finding them? I mean, wh- what, if, what if they are an indispensable and unique part of his body? Which, by the way, is our body. Well, whatever the case, you are a unique and indispensable part of the body of Christ. And so it's absolutely imperative that you would be you in order that you can give you to the body of Christ. There's no substitute for you. You are a unique and indispensable gift that is to be given to Christ, his body, Christ and his body. See, 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 you're not simply gifted to get. Like when you were a, a, a kid on Christmas morning, you got the gift just so you could get. And that's the way our society looks at things. If someone is considered gifted, well, we expect to pay them more. But you're not gifted to get. You're gifted in order to give. To give your gift to the entire circus, the entire body, and you are the gift. And that's number two. We don't understand Giving. In 1 Corinthians, Paul writes, to each is given the manifestation of the Holy Spirit for the common good. Then Paul describes uh, various manifestations of the Spirit, he describes them as gifts, given to build up the body. Remember we said that each one of us is like an earthen vessel, and that vessel is to be filled with mercy, filled with blood, filled with the Spirit. When my vessel is filled with the Spirit, What is the manifestation of the Spirit? Isn't it the shape of the Spirit in me? That's the manifestation of the Spirit. Well, Paul wrote, to each is given the manifestation of the Holy Spirit for the common good. You are to give your manifestation of the Holy Spirit for the common good. In other words, you are to give your unique and indispensable life for the common good, like this. When I give my gifts, you see, I'm giving my life, which actually isn't my life, is it? It's Christ's life. Do you remember Jesus said this, and I think he meant it? I am the life. Not a life, the life. There's only one life. That means if anyone has any life, it's Christ's life. Even if they're cut off from the source of life and don't know his name. You know, if I cut off my finger and put it in a cup and place it here on the table, does it have life? It has blood. And the life is in the blood, but but you would say, well, that's good as dead. When the first Adam was kicked out of the garden, I think he was cut off from the tree of life. Or no, maybe he had never actually been connected to the tree of life. And Jesus said, I am the life. On a tree in a garden, we took his life, which is sin and death. And on a tree, in a garden, he gave his life, which is grace and life eternal. Jesus, from the bosom of the Father, is the heart of God hanging on a tree, in a garden, the tree of life. And Jesus said, I am the life. So anyway, if you think that your life is your life, you're just testifying to the fact that you have taken life. And so you're cut off from life, the source of life, the heart of God. And then, oh, and then it really must be terrifying to give your life. For in that scenario, life is a zero-sum game like Andrew preached last week. I mean, if you give your life, you lose your life. And if you want more life, you have to take life from somebody else. On a a biological level, we call that eating food. On a spiritual level, I think we call that sin. But if you want more life, you have to take life, for in this fallen world, life is a zero-sum game. (laughs) I mean, there's just only so much life to to go around. Now, if you're lucky, uh, you'll form some covenants. Some old covenants. Meaning that uh, you'll give in order to get, which if you think about, really isn't giving. It's just another form of of getting. You'll give in order to get, which really isn't giving. I mean, in that scenario, maybe maybe I'll get married. Okay, And we'll form what we call a, a covenant. And I'll say, I'll say, oh, I give my life to you. But, but what I really mean is I'll give you some of my life if you give me some of, of your life, some of my life and some of your life. And, and if I think that I'm kind of getting ripped off and I'm giving you more of my life than you're giving me of your life, if I think you're being unfair, well, I'll consider a divorce. Breaking the the covenant. Now, if we make it this far, at, at some point, maybe we'll have a child, a baby born into our family. Well, dang, that requires some life. And then I go to church, and they have a mission project, and and they ask me to go on the mission project and, you know, give my life, and that takes more life. And and before long, I'm kind of getting a little bit nervous about my life, and I'm hoping, I'm wanting, I'm trying to hang on to my life, but the more I hang on to my life, the less it feels like life. I mean, maybe I retire, and I start to play golf, trying to hang on to my life, but before I know it, I'm dead. You know, what happens to that finger that's uh, cut off and sitting on the table? I think it's only life for like a few minutes, according to a biologist, and then it's death. See, if you think your life is your life and so hang on to life, it's not just a zero sum game, it's game over. Life over. But Jesus said, if you lose your life for my sake and for the kingdom, hey, you know, maybe we exist in this zero-sum world, and you, you have to think about this a little bit, but maybe we exist in this zero-sum world, maybe we exist in this fallen world to learn to lose our lives, to learn to to give our lives, uh, to learn to sacrifice our lives, to learn to be crucified. Because you see, in heaven, nobody gets crucified, but here on earth, you can learn what giving uh, really is, uh, to to give your life. Uh, Maybe we're here to learn to give our lives, uh, for if um, you give your life in order to receive, it's not giving. And yet, if you don't give, you'll never receive. For Jesus said, the measure you give is the measure you receive. Well, anyway, he said, if you seek to save your life, you'll lose it. But if if you lose your life for for my sake and then the gospel, for my sake and and the kingdom, if you lose your life for my sake and, and the kingdom, just lose it. Then you'll find it. According to the measure of Christ's gift. According to that measure. Well what is the measure of Christ's gift? How much life flows from that ancient tree? How much blood flows in that river from the throne on which stands the slaughtered lamb of God? You know, the institutional church must think it's, it's not much. Because we sure guard this table, don't we? You see, I think we must think it's a zero-sum game. But eternal life is not a zero-sum game. You know, the Apostle Paul did not guard this table from you. He warned you about this table because it's a river of burning love and it will change you. There is a river that flows from the throne of grace. Julian of Norwich writes this. His blood is the most plentiful substance in all the universe. There's enough blood for all. He died for all. It's a big all. So life, real life, is not a zero-sum game. And my life is Christ's life. And I am a gift to be given. And that's the game. That's life. When my children were little, we used to go down in the basement when the basement wasn't finished and we'd just play ball, didn't keep score, just play ball. We'd pass it around, bounce it around, throw it to each other. Well, uh, when my youngest started to join us, Coleman, we'd be playing ball, passing the ball around and Coleman would get all excited and he'd get the ball and then he'd hold it tightly to himself. He'd run over in the corner and just sit there with the ball. I got the ball, got the ball. Game over. <laughs> and for Coleman, the fun was over. So I'd have to go over to Coleman, and I'd say, Coleman, the, the, point, the point of the game is not to possess the ball. It's to pass the ball. That's what makes it fun. And when I come here to preach, this is what I'm saying. The point is not to possess life. It's to pass life. That's what makes it fun. That's the dance. That's the game. You are a gift to be given. Or maybe I should say, you are the form in which the gift is given. You know, maybe, Uh, what if instead of empty and full, dumping and then emptying from one vessel into another vessel, what if each vessel was not such a closed vessel? What I mean is, what if each vessel didn't really hold the blood, but more like constantly transmitted the blood without reservation such that as soon as it was emptied it would it would be filled and then each vessel well it would be constantly emptied and yet never empty because it was constantly filled i mean what if each vessel could constantly lose its life and yet always be filled with life like a like a river of life what if i could like totally unclog all of these vessels, just unclog them, un, un, unclog them, un, undam them, so that they wouldn't be dam vessels. You know that's what a dam does; it restricts the flow. What if I could unclog them and, like you know, circumcise them, cut off the end, so they'd be open at at both ends? Uh, what if I could turn them in less restrictive vessels? Well, then you see they wouldn't be earthen vessels for containing life; they'd be blood vessels for transmitting life kind of like this kind of like each vessel different and unique and strange and confusing each each vessel different and yet and yet somehow fitted together joined together by like every joint with which the whole thing was supplied so that the whole thing was was fitted together like this now at home depot they um they didn't have any clay pipes, okay, so I had to get PVC pipes, but um, uh, suppose they were all fitted together like this, and this is kind of fascinating, there are male ends and female ends, and that's by design, all fitted together. You may remember Francis preached a sermon, a great sermon this summer, that was kind of like this, but let's suppose that they were all fitted together, forming um, a, a body, okay, so so what if we took all of these individual lives, and Fitted them together like this, forming forming a, a body. And uh, okay, on top of the body, let me see. I'm just I'm almost there. Got the, got the wrong one in the foot there, but that's okay because um. <laughs> Let's see here, is that, is that right? Oh yeah, we need, now we need feet, okay? So we put some feet on the body. It all formed a body like this, okay? What if all these different vessels were stuck together making a, a body, all right? Here's the, here's the body, and, and whoops, sorry about that. Remember, it's the most plentiful substance in the universe. And then, and then for the head, we had a funnel head. Like that would be, the, this would be the measure of the gift, a funnel head, and then, and then I, took, I took the life and I poured the one life into this funnel, okay? Like that, so that there would be like one life, one faith, one knowledge, one grace flowing through all these joints, all these vessels, through which the whole body was supplied. Now I 'm not actually going to do it because because the cleaning lady is also my wife, and she would have words for me, and the words wouldn't be from God, okay, but just just like just imagine if all these various lives are formed together in, in one life all built together up into up into, um, one head, one sacred head, now wounded, <laughs> forming a body. What I'm saying is, what if we really got the picture? I mean, I mean, what if you really got the picture that you are a unique and indispensable part of the body of Christ? And the person next to you is, not like, but is. Paul never said it's like this. He said it is this. What if the person next to you is a unique and indispensable part of the body of Christ? What if your enemy is a unique and indispensable part of the body of Christ? Even if they don't know it yet, Even if they're an earthen vessel full of themselves. Even if in this state they're damned. Uh, But what if they're destined to not just be a vessel of wrath, but a vessel of mercy, what if? What if we're all part of Christ's body? Some already connected called the church. Some not yet connected called the lost. What if we're all part of Christ's body and life is not your possession but you are life's possession which means you are Christ's possession which means all belongs to you and you belong to all. You know, if we really got the picture, if we really got the idea or the idea got us I don't think we'd be so concerned about hanging on to life in anxiety and and fear. We wouldn't hang on to life. We might begin to live life. Christ's life. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit life. And that's living. Ten years ago, when my daughter did not want to have a vision. I love it when people that don't want to have visions have visions, because they pay attention then, especially. At a time when she was really battling some enemies and really battling fear, it was one day at church, one weekend at church, she had a vision. 13 years old, I remember she came up to me after the service and she said, Daddy, I saw something. She said, as the people came forward for communion, I watched them coming forward for communion. She said, these like cutter things, that's what she called them, cutter things, like swords or knives. She said, they swung out and they cut people. They like cut their body parts off. They started cutting their body parts off, but the people, kept they, they just kept coming. She said they would like hobble forward. um, And uh, as they communed around the communion servers or the table or whatever, she said, well, uh, they would like start bouncing into each other. They'd bump into each other. And when they bumped into each other, sometimes they'd fuse. So, like, if a guy didn't have an arm, he would bump into another guy that did have an arm, and then they'd fuse. And she said, and Daddy, I'm not scared anymore. Because she said, as I, I watched, they all, they all fused together into this one huge body that could not be hurt. Well, on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it, saying, this is my body given to you take and eat now if you do that where's his body it's a good question In the same manner he t- took the cup and he gotta find a cup <laughs> he said uh, he said this cup is the new covenant in my blood poured out for the forgiveness of sins drink of it all of you and do it in remembrance of me You see, when we come to the table and participate in communion, we actually remember Christ. We remember his body. Or maybe he remembers us. Or maybe he just members us because we were never membered before. Whatever the case, you come to this table and you just need to know you are a unique and indispensable member. In Jesus' name, let's believe the gospel and worship. Majesty Your grace Your grace has found me just as I am empty and. Majesty, forever I am changed by your love, in the presence of your majesty. And so just speak to him now. And if you would, make my words your words. And you can just repeat them silently in your heart after I say them. But just say to the Lord, here I am. Unclog my vessel. Circumcise my heart. Fill me, Holy Spirit, and keep filling me like a river, because the gift isn't just for me, it's for us. So empower your gifts, Holy Spirit. and make us into the body that we are destined to be. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, we pray these things. In his name, amen. Well, I hope one thing has become uh, clear And that is that I cannot build the body of Christ. (laughs) At best, I can build PVC Franken-Christ. But the Holy Spirit can build the body of Christ. And the Holy Spirit is building the body of Christ. As as we surrender to Him and He knits us together by every joint with which it is uh, supplied, uh, when each joint is working properly and together, the body upbuilds itself in love. That's how the Holy Spirit builds up the body. And we'll begin to talk about that more in um, the next few weeks. But, but right now, you need to know you are a an unique and, and indispensable part of the body of Christ. And Christ has given you his life so that you can also give his life. The measure uh, you get is also the measure you give, and the measure you receive is the measure you give. And when we worship, we even receive a measure and give it back to God. It's the life of God as God creates us in his image. So in Jesus' name, believe the gospel and live.